0: Okay, oh, hey, there, there we go. Everyone's taking a little vacation, including my family without me, if you see there. Whenever you, what was that? Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's mutual, but I'm just kidding. No, my wife, uh, as they packed up, I was like, hmm, we're going on vacation. See, one of the things that you realize... <coughs> even Larissa might not totally grasp is that, when you're a preacher and you have time to do things, it doesn't mean that you can always just take off time to go do things, even though people expect, well, why not? You want to have a job like that that's more flexible and people are like, yeah. Anyway, so today we're going to talk about meals. I think I titled it The Table, something about community meals, the Lord's Supper, and what it means for us today. There's some exciting news, I think, about that, and there's a reason why I want to share this. Before I get to that, though, next week, y'all, is a real treat. Next week, we have Dr. Shields coming, and she said 10 to 14 of the teachers. We're going to be doing an interview style with Dr. Shields, not the whole 10 to 14 teachers. Her and maybe one other person up on stage next week, just learning more about their school, asking... (coughs) How we can help and all that kind of stuff. So, isn't that awesome? So, we've prayed for them. We've been over there. Blah, blah, blah. We're all going to get to meet them. Most, a lot of them, not most of them, a lot of them next week. And uh, it was John King actually had, I know he doesn't want credit, but he had come up with that idea. I thought, that's a brilliant idea, John. <laughs> I'll reach out to Dr. Shields right away. I, was just imp- I didn't ask them to bring all their teachers. Uh, I just asked if she would want to do it. And she responds and says, hey, we got 10 to 14 people coming. I was like, all right. So, anyway, it's exciting, right? The following week is one of the reasons I'm sharing this message. We're going to do a Lord's Supper entire service. We are going to set up tables. We are going to bring potluck, and we are going to have times of reflection throughout the meal to where we're actually going to have a Lord's Supper meal. How about that, huh? As- Has anyone done that before? All right. Some of us, a few of us. Okay, cool. So, um, yeah. So, with that being in the back of my mind and us thinking about even just meals in general and resting and community and some of the things we've been talking about, you know, I don't want to hijack the Lord's Supper time because you hear from me enough. But I'm, you know, I've got a lot of stuff that I've tossed around this noggin about it. And I thought this would be an appropriate time to just kind of share some of the stuff the Lord's put on my heart for a long time about the Lord's Supper, and I'll try not to duplicate too much. The Lord's Supper is something that has been divisive in the church world. You all know that? When you look at church history and stuff, you have people, and even today it is, right? We have uh, people who have argued about what it exactly is. Some folks believe that it literally trans, transforms into Christ's body, and it literally trans into, transforms into His blood. On maybe the other side of that, it's kind of an afterthought, right? Like, well, we'll do the Lord's Supper. It Doesn't mean it's just—it's just symbolic. It means nothing. There's no, you know, special no presence of God. We don't think about stuff like that. It's just kind of a, an afterthought, a little bit, and. That's one of the things I value about the Church of Christ tradition, like one of the things I'm maybe the most excited about was coming to be part of a community that once a week celebrates the Lord's Supper. Love that. See, because I grew up in our tradition or whatever you want to call it, where it was maybe once a month, I think we switched it a little bit, or quarterly, that we celebrated the Lord's Supper. Anyone experienced that? Yeah? Not very many. Helen. All right. <laughs> Oh, Trudy, Trudy, oh yeah, and Trudy as well. Um, And so, with those kind of things swirling, I I will get to, at, at the end, Jesus saying, do this in remembrance of me, but something that was supposed to be beautiful for the church has, you know, we have done this like we do bring divisiveness and allow the enemy to run us, you know, this way and that way. And let's argue about this and let's argue about that. It's like baptism. Same thing. Whenever it should just be a beautiful experience with God that we say, "Yes, I would love to obey you in that Jesus." We argue about this and that and you know, when I'm saved is my toe in the water or you know, I didn't do it this it's just I would believe that this Lord's Supper is a gift to us. It is so incredible. And I just want to kind of dive into that the depths of it let's go to the next slide so the next slide I pull up here because I want to remind us as we'll see throughout that this was a meal all right so like I know that it's difficult for us when we get together for an hour hour and a half I'm just saying the church in general in America to you know have time to have a whole meal together but kind of my submission this morning is not that that's wrong not that that's bad but if that's the only way we've practiced it I think we're missing out I think we're missing out on something, a deeper experience that we can have, that there's this multifaceted way to look at the Lord's Supper and the different things that we can reflect on and emotions to be had that's really hard to have all of that out in. It depends on what church you go to, two minutes, one minute to 10 minutes or 15. You know, For us, it depends on who's given the Lord's Supper blessing. Some of us, they're like, is that person teaching again? Here we go. Some of us are like, "Yes, Kyle's doing it. It's going to be like thirty seconds." I know you're laughing because you think about that. I love it. Kyle just gets right to it. <laughs> but I want to open up by talking about meals. Uh, I want to open up by us considering the power of meal and considering that he goes jump slides on me. That's okay. We'll just leave him up there. Leave all naked. Adam and Eve up there, that won't be distracti- distracting at all. You know, it is difficult to find pictures that I want be, to, to be appropriate, you know, for church sometimes. Like, like oh, with those. So that, that's why it's super cartoony and all the parts are covered up and everything like that. Jeez, um, <laughs> okay, get back on track, John. So when it comes to meals, I just, I just want to make mention that I do think, kind of like rest is some of the things that we've talked about, the power of meal, and us having meals together has kind of eroded over time a little bit in the American culture, right? I mean, who grew up when you all your family ate around the table and you at, discussed things and blah, 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 I did. Who still practices that every single night? Ah, oh, we got us, dang, uh-oh. Well, that makes me feel bad. No, I'm not saying that you have to, this is not my submission that you ha, we have to do this or whatever. But oftentimes, it's gone, it's easier, and I'll, I'm super guilty of this. Busy day, it's easier for me just to go, <sighs> I'm just going to watch a TV show, let my kids do whatever they want, and uh, we'll just kind of do our thing, you know. Not that that should happen every night, but I've, I'm guilty of that. Anyone else guilty of that? No? Some of y'all are, just, yeah. I mean, just sometimes going, you know, <sighs> it's just it's too much, you know. Um, and I don't think some of that, I don't think that's bad. You do that sometimes. But I, my point being that oftentimes... If we're not careful, we get to where we're never having meals with our family. We're not having many meals with friends. Think of growing up, and you you know, I remember families coming over to our house and eating dinner and stuff like that. And we still definitely do that, but I think that those are slowly eroding a little bit over time. And I think that meals together are vitally important. And throughout the scriptures, y'all, meals together are huge. God made food for us to, to sustain us, and I love it. He made it enjoyable. A little too enjoyable for some of us out there. I know how to say no to cake last night because I'm like, got it, got it. Can't always do that. That was after eating two hamburgers and a hot dog. So, you know, <laughs> so y'all, you know, you gotta say no sometime. <laughs> oh my gosh, huh? Oh yeah, that's it. A bachelor. Oh, no, that's not happening that's not happening. I have this picture here because I want to go back to say the whole mess that we got in started over a meal. You ever thought about that? wasn't much of a meal probably. It started with us eating. It started with Eve taking a bite of the fruit and here you go, Adam, you want some? Absolutely I do. And eating it. And I I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I do think of the Lord breaking the bread and offering it to his disciples. I bring this up because I think that God wants to redeem what happened in the garden, and that he wants part of having meals together and part of the Lord's Supper is actually redemption from this meal that we had that actually sent us down into the situation that we're in, as Brian talked about, and the sin that we struggle with and those things. But God wanted to bring healing through a meal. I think that that's really, really cool. If you go to the next slide, I'm going to bring up just a few meal. It's there's so many meals in Scripture that's just it's. I, I just pulled a few from Genesis. I said, you know what? We'll just stay in Genesis for a second, particularly this really, really important one right here that doesn't happen. Uh, you know, you're I think chapter 14 or something of Genesis, pretty early in the Scripture. Abraham goes and rescues Lot. Do you guys remember this story and his wife and his family from? Um, from a group of kings that have got together and gone and raided Sodom and Gomorrah where they were at and Abraham kicks some booty right just like your book right there I don't know what you said but anyway sorry he wins and what happens after he has this victory you have this figure this king of Salem like this is like the Hebrew writer thinks about and writes about this 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 figure and scholars and Historians and regular Joes and Janes have wrestled with who is this Melchizedek and written books and thought about it. I know, like it's this this figure, but we know that this is a king of Salem, which means king of peace. And what does the king of peace do? Whenever uh, Abraham has this victory, they celebrate over a meal with what bread and wine, right? And for some of us, I think some of us in our culture today, we only see bread as like an appetizer or for me, a vehicle for a juicy patty to enter into my mouth. But in their culture, very often bread was the meal. Like it's not like Jesus, you know, it's not like it's an appetizer or whatever. This is the the whole meal. And so to have this great victory, there is this moment of blessing. There is this moment of celebration with wine and bread. That sounds pretty darn good, doesn't it? See, I think, one, I think we have sucked a little bit of the fun out of, and joy, out of celebrating the Lord's Supper. I'm just being real. Like, like if you, someone said, hey, do you guys want to get together and reflect on the Lord, drink, drink wine and eat bread? I'd be like, yep. If someone says, you know, I mean, and I think that there's a piece to that that, that I think the Lord, I, I think you would love to see restored, a little bit of that joy. So, next slide. And that, it's just incredible, though, that the king of peace brings bread and wine all the way back at the beginning to give to Abraham. Not too long after this, you have Isaac and Rebekah, and they're uh, going into uh, Philistines, their territory. And what does, what does Isaac do? Pretends like Rebekah's sister. Why? Because she's pretty, and he's scared he's going to get killed. Would you, what would y'all feel if your husbands did that, ladies? Would you be like, okay? I mean, you don't. I don't want you to get killed. Or would you be like, I don't know. Depends on the. Depends on the. Depends on the woman. I guess. Yeah. But they see Isaac caressing Rebecca and go, mm, "There's something going on here a little bit more." Or, you know, we're from Auburntown. Just I, I could. That's a shot towards Jerry, who's not here this morning. It's a joke, okay? It's a joke. Sorry. I love Auburn Town. Ah, yeah, I miss Larissa is what Matt said. That's the one to keep me going. Jerry loves a good joke. He would appreciate that. You could say Wartburg. That's where I'm from. Same thing. <clears throat> but what happens is, is after they he reveals, yes, I am, this is my wife, they make like a covenant. They make an agreement together. They make this peace treaty together. And even though they come to Abimelech in the midst of famine, they have this peace treaty. And it says that Isaac created a feast. A feast. And they celebrated and they feasted. All right? These kind of things happen all throughout Scripture. In fact, go to the next slide, and then I'm done proving my point or trying to I think of a whole birthright that's given away over a meal. (laughs) Like everything. You have everything. You have the firstborn's birthright and you're giving it away because of a meal. Just think through all the different scriptures. Think through David in the twenty-third Psalm saying, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. Like meals and eating and are just all throughout scripture and super important things take place through that next slide please one of the most important of them all maybe the most important is passover and so we get into the book of exodus and us we all I think here probably know the background but I'm going to share it anyways, just very briefly Israel finds themselves in over 400 years of slavery. God says, I'm a rescuing God. I'm going to rescue. God shows that he is greater than all the Egyptian gods. Before he, inst- before he commands this, he's done nine miracles that have completely proven that the Egyptian gods have nothing on them. That even though they had them in slavery for 400 years, God was in charge and God cares about rescuing his people. And God was going to bring his people out of slavery. So right before he has the tenth and final, uh, well, plague or whatever you want to talk whatever you want to call it, bringing to death all the firstborn in Egypt, he says, "I want you to celebrate a meal together." You ever thought about that? Just as simple, kind of, as that in that sense. And this meal is full of symbology with the roasted lamb, the lamb that was slain. And then, of course, before they did it, putting the blood on the doorpost or on the, symbolizing, you know, Christ's blood for us. But he says, listen, I want you all to sit down. I want you to have a meal together. Uh, They ate also unleavened bread, right, that he calls the... uh, what does he say in Deuteronomy 16, the bread of affliction? Yeah, he calls it the bread of affliction to remember all the years that you've been afflicted. But as they're having, this, they're having this meal, y'all, it was designed to be a time where the children would go, Hey, what's up with this? What, Dad, Mom, why are we roasting this lamb right now? Why is this bread, why does it have leaven in it? So that they can ask and they can interact. And I think many of us have done like a Passover Seder here, like several of us. And that's kind of built into the Haggadah or the kind of liturgy of it. Though I don't think they had a, a liturgy whenever they were doing this right off the bat. But the children asking questions and the adults responding. And like when I think through this meal, I just think, isn't that incredible that before God releases them into freedom, he says, I want to have a meal and this meal is of incredible importance. It's to create dialogue. It's to have questions. It's to experience God. And I think that that is something that I love about meals and I love about the Lord's Supper is that when we do it, it actually engages like all of our senses. Have you ever thought about that before? Like oftentimes, sometimes if we're not careful, we can kind of relegate Christianity to words on a page and a a belief in something, right? Like we believe that rather than seeing what Israel did all throughout the Old Testament is they constantly experienced God and they recorded these experiences with God and they wrote down words that they believed were coming from the Lord through their prophets and they experienced God in this way and they did that. Like one thing that the Lord's Supper does is it allows us to enter into an experience. Because sometimes words aren't enough. Right? I'm mean, As a preacher, as any of us telling stories, words just aren't enough sometimes. I I was with uh, Ryan Kellum last night, and they just came back from Hawaii. And I saw some of those pictures, and man, I'm not lying, big time jealous. Like, not a little, love to go there. (laughs) Uh, It was beautiful. But as he's explaining and showing pictures and stuff like that, I know, and I can tell, words just can't describe what it's actually like being there. Anyone try to do that to somebody? Explain a place that you want to go to, or an experience that you've had. It's like when I went to Israel, I can tell people what happened, but I can go, how many times do you have to just say, you just have to be there. You just have to experience it. I would say that about Tennessee Vol football when we were good. Going to the football stadium, that electricity in the air, it was crazy, man. It's crazy. Look, Steven's getting hype. He's about to come give me a high five or something. Like it's, But there's no way to express how amazing it was, and it's, it's but being there and experiencing it, and that is one of the beautiful things about meals and about God creating this, this Passover meal is that it's an experience. It's an experience that we taste, it's an experience that we smell, it's an experience that we that that we see, it's an experience that we we hear. We hear the food cooking ahead of time. We oh man, it's just so incredible. It's so incredible. And this was an experience that God not only wanted them to do then that night, but to continue to do over and over and over and over again so that in years to come, 50 years, 100 years, the children would say, why are we doing this? And they would say, it was because our God, he rescued us, our God rescued us with his might, with his power, our God's a God who rescues out of slavery and all these beautiful pictures and these beautiful images. And the reason I'm so focusing on this because this is the backdrop to the Lord's Supper. This is so huge. It's so huge. Next slide. Oh, I kind of like the slide sometimes because it gives me a chance to take a drink. I mentioned these pilgrimage feasts several times recently. I actually thought, you know what, since I've been re- mentioning them, just so you know when they are, you see the little pointing? So just so, you, just, just, just so you know, if we're putting ourselves into the Israelite shoes during Passover and different things around March, April, you are, boop, you're packing up and you're heading to Jerusalem. And you're going to be there for a week. Could you imagine if we did these things three times a year now? Would that be hard for us? We'd be like, oh, I'm too busy. Or would it be like, oh, that's awesome. Like, I can rest. <laughs> And then, if you were to do, to you would not. not If you were, you would participate in uh, Shavuot or the the Feast of Weeks, and that would be May or June. So it's you know fifty days after Passover. So like in another fifty days, guess what? You're packing back up and you're going back to Jerusalem, uh, or going to the Tabernacle in the wilderness. Uh, You're going down, and then you know the October September. You're celebrating Sukkot or the Feast of the Feast of Tabernacles. But the reason I want to bring this up is because. Speaking and thinking of Passover, when God would have them come to Jerusalem, when he'd have them come to, go ahead to the next slide. I just put the tabernacle, I could put the tabernacle or I could put the temple here. But God wanted to celebrate this with the people. Because this is the place that God's presence dwelled. I think there's sometimes we don't recognize the connection between temple and God's presence and the Lord's Supper. Because God's, whenever God had uh, commanded the Israelites to celebrate Passover, he said, come to my presence. This is the place where God's presence dwelt. And again, that tells me that God wants to be there in the midst of his people celebrating with his people. It's why Jesus' very last meal was this. <laughs> he loves, like I, just, I thought about this, like do you ever think, God anticipates us enjoying the Lord's Supper? Sometimes we think God just can't wait to crush us (laughs) because we've screwed up so much, and oh man, here we go. Or have you ever thought that God goes, man, I can't wait to enjoy this time with the folks at Stones River this morning, and to reflect He wanted them to come to do it among Him, in His presence. I just it's just, I love, that I love that piece, and I think we forget that oftentimes. Let's go to the next slide. Not only was the tabernacle or the temple his presence, the place where his presence dwelt, inside of it, this is going to be my segue to John chapter 6 here. We're going to go look at it briefly. Inside of it was the bread of what? Presence. Like a constant reminder that God wants to be with his people. That's, God, we, have to, we have to celebrate that. We have to celebrate the fact that God wants to be with us. And that there was, for, there was always the bread representing the bread of the presence. God wants to be with his people. And so turn to John chapter 6 and go to the next slide if you don't mind. Because in this, we're going to get to be reminded that Jesus calls himself the bread. And we're going to remind ourselves that God wanted and wants to be present among us. And that God did and is present among us. And that as we take the Lord's Supper, he's very much present among us. So we'll just go a little further than David started us off in John chapter 5. Thanks, David. I didn't say, oh, never mind. You know what I'm thinking, but <clears throat> let's just move on. At the beginning of John chapter 6, what happens is a large crowd, they begin to come after Jesus because he's healing them. Put yourself there. If you hear that blind eyes are opening, cancer has gone, all this kind of stuff, what would you be doing? I'm going to that guy. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about you. So I'm just saying that to say imagine the size of the crowds that are starting to come around Jesus. It's so big that Jesus test Philip by saying, hey, what should we give them to eat? Well, some of us don't like it. God tested him. But he does, and he did. And Philip's response is, there's this large crowd, Jesus, six months wages couldn't feed them, or it would take six months wages to feed them. Think about how much money that is. Imagine and that was like just a few people. We have more people in this room probably than Jesus had as the 12, and there's probably some other disciples that were, that were with him very possibly. Imagine such a huge crowd shows up at Stones River that we need e- 35000 bucks or $30,000 to feed them. That's a heck of a crowd. That's a huge crowd. And it's because he's healing. And then it says Andrew says, so let's just say Brian McCrary comes up and goes, well, we've got, we got two burgers and five orders of french fries. Get out of here, Brian. We <laughs> Andrew says. we got, got a, we got some fish and some loaves. Like, what are you talking about? But in this miracle of God, he takes the, the fishes and the loaves, the two fish and the five loaves, and it feeds so many people uh, that we've, most of us heard the story that 12 baskets are left over, which no doubt brings up Israel and the 12 tribes of Israel and symbolizes God's care for the community, God's care for the people that he loves. But at the end of that, it's in uh, 614, John chapter 6, verse 14, it says, When the people saw the sign that had been done, that he had done, they began to say, This indeed, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now, a critical piece that I want to point out about this passage is verse four of Matthew, of John chapter six. John wants us to know that this took place, now the Passover, the festival of the Jews was near. So it might, you might just think, well, I guess he's just kind of giving us an idea of what time frame this takes place. I think this is a vitally important piece to this whole scenario that we're looking at, that Passover was near. And you might say, well, it wasn't the Passover, but the Jewish people, Israel, would anticipate Passover and still anticipates Passover, much like when Thanksgiving is over, what do we start doing? It's Christmas season, like, or after Halloween's over, it's Christmas season, or after July 4th is over, like some stores, you're like, what are you guys, what are you doing, you know? But no, but, but but seriously, like we enter into this, it is one day, but we enter into this season of celebration and anticipation and excitement, and that would be happening in Israel at this time. There's this looking forward to, so when someone says something during Christmas season about you know, lights. We don't just think of these lights. We start thinking of Christmas lights. You know what I mean? Like these, bra- these things are co- connecting. And so when Jesus is saying these things in the back of their mind, they are looking forward to Passover. And they're seeing this great miracle take place. And they're going, oh my gosh, is this, the, is this a great prophet that's entered the world? Is this maybe even the Messiah? Is this the one? Let's make him king. And Jesus says, whew, I better get out of here. <laughs> and we're going to see, Jesus goes, well, Let's just see who's serious about this. But they're connecting back to Passover. That's my point. They're thinking back to that. They're thinking back. They're thinking about the bread. They're thinking about the unleavened bread that that they're going to be celebrating. They're going to be thinking about that the Israelites ate and going, he's feeding us bread too. And beyond that, which we'll get here in a second. So basically, I'm skipping through some of this because it would take a minute if I went through the whole thing. Read the whole chapter. It's really, really good. Basically, the disciples get in a boat, and they go. Jesus walks on water. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> uh, the people find out, they, go, they figure out that he got into a boat and went away, that they got into a boat and went away. They find boats, and they go chasing after him. They're like, they want to see what's going on. What can we see next? Of course, we also know, based on this, that they were hungry or wanted more bread. In verse 25, I'm going to skip all the way to verse 25. They they've, they've found Jesus. Now, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Don't work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Jesus, Jesus just tells the truth, by the way. I think sometimes we have this idea of who he was, and he's always like, you're so, you're perfect, and nothing's wrong with you. Like, they come over there, they want to see him again, he's like, hey, you guys just, you're here for the food, you're not even here for the signs, you know what I mean? Like, he doesn't mind just speaking truth. I'm sure there have been times, it would be times that Jesus would rub us the wrong way probably, if we were following him, and <laughs> be like, Ooh. but he would be right, of course, <laughs> he would, He goes on to say, I think that that's, it's, it's very important that he says, uh, don't work for food that perishes. We can preach a whole message on that. Many of us do. I find myself doing that sometimes. But work for food that, that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Again, that's referencing back to Daniel 7, like we've talked about. Like he's calling himself here the Son of Man. And so he's kind of up in the ante to what's going on here. They've they got to be thinking, what? what are, you, are you calling yourself the Son of Man? What, what are you talking about eternal life? If we go down a little bit further, uh, we see that in, I'm just going to go down to verse 31, there's a a conversation that's being engaged with these people, and they're trying to figure out, is this the king? Is this the Messiah? He said something that's making us kind of scratch our head a little bit. In verse 31, he says, our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread to eat bread from heaven, excuse me, to eat. Before that, I'm going to go back to 30, I'm sorry. So they said to him, what sign are you going to give us? He just did this incredible sign. And they're wanting more. Isn't that like how we do? God, we just saw you do something crazy, something great in our life. But uh, I think I need to see it again. I need to see something. What sign are you going uh, to do so that we can see it and believe? And then they begin to ask and they say, because, you know, God gave our ancestors in the wilderness manna, which that was right after Passover. You understand that, right? Like, this is a whole story that's being told. And we remember that God miraculously, that's incredible still to think about. God miraculously gave them this bread called manna. And they, they've they got in the back of their mind what he just did. They're trying to figure him out. Well, okay, you just multiply these loaves. No one could do this. We need to see another sign. Because, I mean, through Moses, God gives us bread, or he says Moses gives us bread, basically, but Jesus' response is, in the next verse, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Him, They're taking their eyes off of, Hey, it wasn't Moses that brought you the bread. The Father brought the bread. But then he goes on to, he continuously, if he's wanting to build a huge following, he continuously digs himself a deeper hole through this discussion. Like, We know that Jesus wasn't about that. It wasn't about just getting the crowds, is getting as many people in the seats as possible. Because here in this moment he says, Again, very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. My father. Think about what he's saying here. Like we've read this so many times, but think about being in their situation where they're trying to figure out who is this person. You know, or we might say, What is this preacher saying? I don't know. I don't know if I agree with what he's saying. I don't know if I agree. I don't know. That John guy, man, he says some crazy stuff sometimes. But they're trying to figure him out. And then he goes on to say, my father will bring you the true bread from heaven. For Verse 33, for the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And at that point, they're still in the game. They're like, sir. It's like the woman at the well who says, sir, give me this water. Give, this, give me this living water always. They respond with, sir, give us this bread always. <laughs> okay, hey, if we can have living bread for, to eternal life, heck yeah, I'm into that. Anybody else? <laughs> and then Jesus says, with them thinking in their minds of Passover, with them thinking of the manna that God provided miraculously, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. oh Uh-oh. <laughs> what? What are you saying? Whoever comes to me. This is a bold statement. This is a, you understand why they crucified him. Like, could you imagine someone standing up and going, come to me. I'm the one. I'm the bread that came out of heaven. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And there's so much more richness there. But do you see, like, at this point, they've got to be saying, all right, hold up a second. We might have to pump the brakes here. I'm, saying, I'm sharing this because this is the richness of what we're saying when we buy into the Lord's Supper and we, and we actually experience it and we give our hearts to it. What we believe is crazy if it's not real. It's insane. It's <laughs> insane. We're believing that Jesus is the everlasting bread that God gave, the Father gave, to us for eternal life. That a God-man comes into the world and that we are partaking in his life by eating this bread, right? I'm going to scroll down. (laughs) Scrolling down, I'm not on my phone. Um, I'm going to go down just a little bit here. There's there's so much, but again, I don't want to go forever today in verse 41 as he's having this conversation about the father giving him these things and doing these things it says then the jews begin to complain about him why because he said i am the bread that came down from heaven right god gave israel manna god gave the bread of the presence you're comparing yourself to those things (laughs) who who do you think you are they were saying, is this not Jesus, son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I have come down from heaven? I mean, how many of us would have been asking these same questions? Let's, can we be real? Like, we'd be going, hold on a second. I've seen you since you're a knee-high grasshopper boy. You're trying to claim that you came down from heaven and that you're the bread of heaven? You, I'm not so sure about this. this we, when we take the Lord's Supper, we're saying yes to that. We're saying yes to this carpenter's son, the son of Mary and Joseph, who claims and said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. (sighs) Jesus answers in verse 43. He says, do not complain among yourselves. No one can come to me unless drawn by the Father who has sent me. And then he ups the ante again. Then he, if he was trying to get a crowd, digs himself even deeper. He is digging in. He says, and I will raise that person up on the last day. He says, not only am I the bread from heaven, that have you all heard of the thing called resurrection? I'm the one who resurrects. (laughs) What? I mean, at that point, you got to be like, it's time to stone this guy. It's over. (laughs) This is is crazy talk. And if it doesn't get crazy enough there, I'm going to go to verse 47 first. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors, so he's connecting this, ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. So he said God sustained them through that bread, but that bread wasn't everlasting, right? When we eat, it's good for a time, but it's not good forever. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will, give, I, I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Let's just keep going even deeper. I'm giving my flesh. I'm giving myself over. They don't know, but he will literally give his flesh. He will be crucified. for the Why? for the life of the world, because of the heart of the Father. He wants to bring life. He desired to bring life. I love it. He is the bre- He's not the bread of death. He's the bread of life. He's the bread of life. Then verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Right? I mean, wouldn't us, some of us ask the same exact question. What? Okay, what does he mean by this? So Jesus you know, triple, quadruple downs, whatever he's he's saying. He's gonna go go deeper and deeper. Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in me. At that point I might have been out. Like I would have at least had to go reflect for a minute and spend, and spend some time like, Father, what is happening here? Like not only are you saying you the bread of life, that you're the man that came down from heaven, now you're saying eat my flesh and drink my blood And he again says, and I will raise them up on the last day. My flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. That's beautiful too to think about, isn't it? That as we partake in the Lord's Supper, as we eat his flesh and drink his blood, quote unquote, that we are actually abiding in him and participating with him in his presence. Verse 60 goes on to say that it was so difficult that a bunch of his disciples left him. That makes sense, right? That's one way to kill an insurrection with a new king. The new king go up in front of people and say, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and I am the bread of life. (laughs) He kind of probably squatted that idea of making him king pretty quick. I want to finish up today reading uh, Luke 22 when Jesus celebrates the Last Supper with them. And I want to keep all this in the back kind of in the back of our minds. I want to encourage us to remember that this is this was a meal, that this was an experience to be had. And that Jesus, as he calls himself things, as he talks about the bread being broken for them, to have this in the back of our minds, that we are saying, Yes, you really are the Messiah, you really are the Lamb who was slain. I will Eat your flesh, drink your blood. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in this, Jesus. In uh, Luke 22, I'm going to start on verse 7. It says, Then the day of Passover, excuse me, then the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Then came the day. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover meal that we may eat it. You see, Passover was not just a meal that just happened. There was actually preparation It wasn't just a one-time thing. It wasn't just five minutes. It was a time where not only are you eating an entire meal together and celebrating together, you're preparing it. And I just felt encouraged that as we do this here in a couple weeks, that as you prepare food to bring, be present with the Lord. Like, they're here present with God as he says, all right, let's prepare the meal. Like, during the preparation phase even, instead of getting like, because I, I can be like this, like, you know, I'm busy, you know, I don't really want to do this, I don't want to make my green beans today, you know. I mean, we all do it, you know. But to take time to slow down and go, you know what, I'm I'm just preparing this for my brothers and sisters so that we can celebrate the Lord, you know. I Let's extend that to other meals. When we invite people over, we go to their houses. Instead of going, like, oh, I have to bring something, slow down for a minute and go, thank you, Father, that I even have friends, that I have this ability. I just I thank you for being present with me as I prepare this meal, I'm trying to implement that in my life as I, as I cook. But they had preparations, and they, and they were obedient to Jesus um, because there was a lot to be prepared for Passover. It was a big deal. It wasn't an afterthought. It was, it was central. It was so important. In verse 14 it says, when the hour came, he took his place at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I love this. This goes back to the temple. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. It wasn't, this wasn't an afterthought. This wasn't a, well, I guess maybe I'll do this. It was, I have been anticipating. Can you imagine the the love of God? and the, Like, it just, it, it's crazy. What? I have been eagerly anticipating, I can't wait to have this meal with you. I can't wait to be present with you as we have this meal before he suffers. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. That's why they call this the Last Supper. Many people call it the Last Supper. I've often wondered, do you ever have those conversations with people? If you knew you were going to die, if you were in jail and they offered you the last your last meal, what would you get? Someone shout it. Whoa. Steak. Em, what? Empanadas? Enchiladas. Mm. My, I'm getting hungry now. That was a mistake. My stomach's growling a little bit. Fried, oh, fried ochre. Mm. What'd you say? Something with apples. You love apples. Mm. Now I'm thinking of like a warm apple pie with some vanilla ice cream up on top of that. Mm. there it goes hold up he's growling right now i'm growling right now but jesus knowing this was his last meal he was eagerly anticipating for his last meal he chose passover with his closest friends think of how important that is he chose to have this meal that had been celebrated for hundreds and hundreds of years throughout israel's history he said this will be my last meal like that this is what we're celebrating. <laughs> this is what we're we're doing we come together going, "Oh my goodness, Jesus God w- w- present among us has chosen this meal and said, I won't eat of it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God." And at that moment it says, "Then he then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he said, "Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I will Excuse me, for I tell you that I that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took the loaf of bread and with it and I'm just think of the things the bread that we we're just talking about. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, "This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me." And he said the same with the cup after supper, saying, "This is the cup that is poured out for you." I think I read that wrong, but anyways, whatever. Is the new covenant In my blood. Do you ever, Brandon and I were talking about this before service. You ever watch one of those movies with a crazy twist ending or like the big revelations? And you're like, I love those movies. Love them. And you get in and you go, Oh, I should have seen that. Or, Oh my gosh, your mind starts going back to the whole movie. Maybe it happened in this moment or later for the disciples, but I imagine. That as he's doing this, at some point in time, the disciples have that moment. To go, oh my gosh, manna in the wilderness, bread of the presence. All these things, these this was all leading up to this grand revelation that Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things. But wow, when God gave manna in the wilderness, it was he was sustaining Israel but also foreshadowing God giving his son. And like all this crazy stuff that just all of a sudden... Probably at some point, maybe at, not at this, maybe not at this moment, because at this moment they end up arguing about who's the greatest. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> they're a little worried about who's the best. But I think at some point in time they had to go, "Oh, this is what he meant. This is what he was talking about. And what makes us so crazy is that in verse 21 it says, "But see the one who betrays me is with me, and his hand is on the table." for the son of man is going as it has been determined he knew he would die but woe to the one by whom he is betrayed then they began to ask one another which one of them it could be who would do this that the that god of the universe would celebrate his last meal with his enemy what does that tell you because i think most of us would have done kick judas out if we i mean he knew it would have said get out here you're on my dunzo list i'm out I was having a conversation with someone this week about a very difficult thing that he was going through and these vengeful thoughts that he was constantly, (laughs) that he's fighting constantly. Like, oh, I just want to do this. And I would love to do this to this person. And like, not like, and I'm not talking about like harmful physically. It's just words to be spoken and stuff like that. Anyone ever had those thoughts? Man, I would love to tell that person this. And in the midst of it, like I look at Jesus and Jesus, and so for that person, that other person was gone. Done so list, I don't want anything to do with them ever again. But here's Jesus, knowing that Judas is stealing, knowing that Judas is going to stab him in the back, having his last meal, and he's doing it. As David said in Psalms, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. Like in the midst of this, he does it with Judas, Judas sitting right there, which I guess at that moment, Judas still has a choice. Will I take the bread? Will I take the wine? Will I participate in this covenant that he's talking about? Though Jesus knows he won't. He still makes that offer to Judas. (sighs) The Lord is so good. You could have gone to the next slide. I didn't say that, but it doesn't really matter. My prayer is that as we celebrate this in a couple weeks, as we celebrate it next week, as we get together the Lord's Supper, that we begin to, to think about even deeper the depths of what God is, is, is inviting us into that might we even invite enemies to the table ourselves. I don't know. I love that story that we were reading in Faithful Presence that said that the guy had done a Lord's Supper. I shared this a few weeks ago night on Friday nights and invited friends and family or his whole neighborhood, not friends and family, sorry, his whole neighborhood to participate and unbelievers had come. And unbelievers had ended up getting saved and given their life to the Lord. That he also invited us into doing what Jesus said, going into other people's homes, just like in Luke chapter 10, whenever Jesus is, says, hey, trust me with your food, rely on the hospitality of strangers. I will sustain you. That's what, you're, that's what he's saying, I've got you, you know? When we do, when we participate in the Lord's Supper, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, and we remember backwards and forwards. You ever remember forwards? We remember backwards to Israel and to the covenant and to Christ and to his blood and like what Brian was sharing, the sin that we have and oh my gosh... The fact that he washed that he washes that away, I just I was bawling. I may have to read the lyrics to a song. I was bawling on the way to church, all the way to church. I'm, you know, that's one good thing about having the kids in the car and listening to a song. I'm just oh God, you know, I'm just thinking of the Lamb that was slain and all these things that this that this supper represents in the whole gamut of emotions of joy and celebration and 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 reflection and. How have I been treating the body of Christ and all these different things and it sometimes comes out in tears and, 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 and bawling and yeah, it just was that way. But as 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 we're reflecting on these things, man, I just I just pray that, Lord, I just I just ask you right now that you would help us to experience deeper and for the rest of our lives, deeper revelation of this that actually is pr- practically lived out experientially lived out in that as we remember forward, the mess started with the meal and it really ends with the meal, the wedding supper of the Lamb. And your word says, blessed are those who participate, who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. God, thank you that you're a God who feasts. And as we feast and as we partake in your table now, God, let us not forget the mission that you've given us the mission that you've given us to take care of the poor, to take care of the hurting, to invite people to this marriage supper of the Lamb to participate with you in this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read the lyrics to this, and, I'm, and then I'm going to be done. This is kind of weird. I just, I'd never heard this song before. I just pulled it up. So I'm going to be requesting the worship team do this one. <laughs> It was incredible lyrics, actually. Oftentimes, more contemporary w- Christian songs are just kind of uh when it comes to uh, the lyrics and just kind of plain. But this is one. This was, yeah, I was surprised when I saw, never mind. In the back of my mind is the Lord's Supper and what Christ has done and this great celebration that we can have, that we get to celebrate when we take the Lord's Supper. The, the, the lyrics say, Lord, I confess that I've been a criminal. I've stolen your breath and sang my own song. Oh, <laughs> we are the body of Christ. How many times have we stolen his breath by doing our own thing? I'm like, oh, Lord, I confess that I'm far too innocent, that I'm far from innocent. These shackles I wear, I bought on my own. <clears throat> and he goes on to say, these scarlet sins had a crimson cost. You nailed my debt. <laughs> to that old rugged cross, an empty slate at an empty grave. Thank God that stone was rolled away. Ah, I love it. Um, Lord, I confess I've been a prodigal, made for your house, but I walked on my own roads. Then Jesus came. He tore down my prison walls. Death came to life when he called me by name. And Does that refrain again? The Scarlet Sins had a crimson cross. And then he goes into this, like, bridge, and it's the song's called homecoming and it's thinking about our, our our homecoming with the lord and thinking of the cross and all these things that he's done for us and it says and and i can see it now smiling in heaven you and i and i see bright crimson robes draped over the ashes a wide open tomb where there should be a casket the children are are singing and dancing and laughing the Father is welcoming. This is our homecoming. I'm thinking of the I'm thinking of the marriage supper of the Lord. Whether he was or not, I don't care. That's what I'm thinking of. Roses in bloom, pushed up from the embers. Our rivers of tears flow from good times remembered. Families are singing and dancing and laughing. This the Father is welcoming. This is our homecoming. Heaven joins in with a glorious sound. Uh, this I always choke up that. And the great cloud of witnesses gather around, man, when I heard that lyric, the Lord reminded me that when we take the lord's Supper we 're participating with generations we're not just part- we are participating in people all over the world coming together to say, "Yep, Jesus, you are the bread from heaven, I, I believe that, but we're also celebrating with David, and we're also celebrating with with Esther and we're celebrating with Solomon, and like we're just and so and the great cloud of witnesses all gather around because the ones that were lost are finally found. And then uh, there's a little bit more. This is one of those long ones, Matt, but I'll work, you know. I'll play drums. If you, I'll do whatever it takes. Let me just say that. I just read it one last time. Scarlet sins had a crimson cost. You nailed my debt to that old rugged cross, an empty slate, an empty grave. Thank God that stone was rolled away. So whenever we think and we think, oh my gosh, God, I've, I've screwed up. I've, I've wasted breath of yours. It's just this rejoicing in this supper that says, but you paid for it. <laughs> you paid, Jesus. You, you, we, you With your blood, you were the lamb that was slain. Man. Lord, I just thank you again Uh, as we end, this, I guess, my second ending prayer maybe. (laughs) Lord, I just, I've screwed up so many times in my life. I constantly mess up. Lord, I constantly, I'm I'm sure that I'm I'm daily, I disobey you or you tell me to do something or I feel a prompting and I choose my own way, God. Lord, I just, I thank you for the cross. I thank you for a meal. I thank you that, Jesus, you said you were the bread from heaven. And that we were invited to just eat of that bread and to believe and to trust in that and to walk in that, Lord. Help us, Father. Help us to rejoice in you. Help us to find joy as we eat the supper, as we eat a meal together and rejoice in the fact that we aren't, as David said earlier, we're not all perfect, as Brian said, I believe too, that we're not all perfect. But you are our perfection. Let that lead us to strive to have lives that are fully obedient to you, but we always recognize that we'll trip it up, we'll trip up, but you have that grace, God, and you, I just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.